0: Psalm 29 Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, Ascribe to the Lord the glory of her name, Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, The God of glory thunders, The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all say glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to our people. May the Lord bless our people with peace. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 2-14 through 14. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and leaders of the ancestral houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the Israelites assembled before the king at the festival, in, that is, in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites carried the ark. So they brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel, who had assembled before him, were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be numbered or counted. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place. Underneath the wings of the cherubim, for the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim made a covering above the ark and its poles. The poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place, in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. They are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord had made a covenant with the people of Israel after they came out of Egypt. Now when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sacrificed themselves, sanctified themselves, without regard to their divisions. All the Levitical singers, Asaph, Himon, and Jeduthun, their sons and kindred, arrayed in, arrayed in fine linen, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with one hundred and twenty priests who were the trumpeters. It was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. When the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments, in praise of the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever, the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Acts twenty-six verses nineteen through twenty-nine. After that, King Agrippa. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout the countryside of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do deeds consistent with repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had help from God and so I stand here, testifying both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer. And that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. While he was making his defense, Festus exclaimed, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much learning is driving you insane. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking the sober truth. Indeed, the king knows about these things, and to him I speak freely. For I am certain that none of these, kings, none of these things has escaped his notice, for he was not done in a corner." King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, "Are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian?" Paul replied, "Whether quickly or not, I pray to God not only that you, not only you but also all who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except for these chains." Good morning, and welcome to the seventh Tuesday. Uh, at, of Easter Tide. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Columbus, Ohio. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 29, Second Chronicles 5, and Acts 26. And the um, the readings I only noticed until once I started reading that there's separate readings for the vis- visitation of Elizabeth. To Mary, which is um, I don't know if it's a feast or, or what the you know formal name is for it, but this is um, when Mary visits Elizabeth um, in Luke chapter one um, verses thirty nine through fifty seven. Um, this is where we get the uh, or well, this chapter is where we get notice that. Mary and Elizabeth are sus genus same genes basically so they are blood relatives they're not just friends they're not you know acquaintances they're actually family and what kind of family is not entirely clear uh, but that makes Jesus and John blood relatives as well um, and Mary and Elizabeth well I'm sorry Elizabeth in This chapter is called A Son of Aaron, and her husband Zechariah has descended from the order of Abijah. And so uh, Elizabeth is a Levite, and an Aaronic Levite from the house of Aaron, and that means if she and Mary are blood relatives, then Jesus is also, and Mary, are also Levites of the house of Aaron. So remember that. Um, On the one hand, uh, we get this line that that Jesus is the root of David, which that's fine. I mean, I'm not disputing that, but that seems to be a very interesting uh, omission of some very particular (laughs) facts. And I I say that because so the punchline is that Jesus' family is Levitical, um, Joseph, his adopted father, from whom he receives no genetic material. Um, Joseph is of the house of David. That's why he has to go to David city in Bethlehem to register for the, the census of Quirinius. Um, but that makes Jesus royal blood in name only. Joseph doesn't pass him any genes, blood, nothing. Um, if he is the son truly of God and Mary, the only human genealogical material he gets from his mother is through uh, the Levitical bloodline, um, and this is I, it, this makes sense to me in the, the the disregard that God has for kings when the people ask for a king in First Samuel eight. And it's repeated in Deuteronomy somewhere, I think. Um, on the one hand, you could think, oh, yeah, they're sinful, and they, they don't know what they're asking for, and so Samuel is offended. But it may also uh, be that at the end of the period of the judges that they're just kind of done with the chaos and violence of this you know, non-hereditary, charismatic leadership model um, you know, and judges, they're warring against one another. They can't trust, uh, you know, other tribes. And so, yeah, maybe they are being sinful, but it also, you know, the nations don't seem to have these same problems. And one of the things, one of the most central things, is that there isn't tribal confederated leadership. There's a king, a monarch, and it, you know, it's hereditary, but, like, that doesn't seem to matter to them. Um And so when they are made they are given kings, it's a capitulation by God to human shortcomings. Kings are a foreign concept to Israel. And yet God makes this covenant with David to your descendants forever, right? Including Joseph. And Jesus is grafted in to the line of Joseph. He's not he is not royal by blood, which is, you know, how you know Uh, monarchies through time immemorial have have decided, right? It's always been hereditary. And so Jesus and John um, are both Levites um, and Jesus is treated as the high priest, which is important. Um, And he also has this whole military stuff, but one of the things I'm interested in talking about when we hear of Mary and Elizabeth is in Luke 3 and 7, and there's parallels in the other Gospels, but essentially, um, after Jesus heals the centurion's servant, um, John sends disciples to question his, his credentials. You know, are you the one or should we wait for another? And it appears, especially in Luke, that in Luke's chapter seven, that their disagreement is over, you know, you could call it establishment, you know, the proximity to the establishment, or you could just say soldiers because there's this tongue-in-cheek back and forth, Um, Jesus sends John's disciples off, and the last thing he says to them is, Blessed is anyone who takes no offense in me. John is offended at something. The last two things he has done in Luke is heal the the widow's son and and call a centurion um, or say that a centurion has greater faith in all of Israel. And to John an anti-imperialist, you know, uh, traditional Israelite-conservative kind of thing, um, he doesn't think that um, the Messiah should be cozying up to the establishment, especially soldiers whom were baptized in Luke 3.14, um, because it's a callback to 3.14, where there are tax collectors, and there's a couple of lines toward the end of Luke 7. There's tax collectors and soldiers But in Luke 7, it references tax collectors and sinners. And it equates, it it flattens sinners, or soldiers into sinners. And he's doing this, you know, tongue in cheek, like speaking as John. John sees all soldiers as sinners. Um, And on the one hand, you could say that's an establishment thing, you could say that's anti-military, but they have this disagreement, and it follows immediately after um, this encounter with the centurion of great faith who might call. Captain Marvel. And so John and Jesus have some very important differences in their ministry. Um, but Jesus closes Luke 7 by reinforcing their connection. He says, you know, they'll come and say that, you know, we're we're dining and getting drunk or, or blah, blah, blah. I can't remember the line offhand, but he's saying, look, John and I are the same. We may have our disagreements about, you know, being anti imperial or pro god um, but uh, we're our mission is the same we are we are united um even if we we see things a little bit differently and I hadn't really thought about this disagreement or this difference between John and Jesus until you know I read Luke three and Luke seven really closely um and it does appear that you know Luke seven uh seems to be um uh, setting up this uh, you know, military kind of, I don't know, hermeneutic, I don't want to say hermeneutic, but Luke clearly is treating the military far more friendly than the other evangelists are. But they all record, I mean, even John 4 has uh, the centurion of great faith, he calls him a Galilean noble, because that's what he is. I mean, Matthew and Luke call him a centurion, but they don't know what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to the military. Um, he's not Roman. He's one of Antipas's soldiers because it's in Galilee, and Antipas was allowed to have his own military force. So he's not Roman. And that's why John calls him a Galilean noble, um, and Matthew and Luke both call him a centurion because they just assume. And he is. He's, he tells others, come and they come and go and they go. So he's a soldier, but he's Galilean, not Roman. Um, and so anyway this the the connection between Jesus and John um brings into sharp contrast the difference um between you know the more staunch puritan uh streams of christianity and the more inclusive in in jesus John is much more radical in terms of like who's in and who isn't um in terms of like purity and and um etc., but Jesus is much more open to the fact that, look, this really is for anybody, um, anybody who responds favorably to the good news and repents, which the soldiers do in, Je- in uh, Luke 3. Um, anybody who does, as far as I'm concerned, is is on the up-and-up, and John, of course, has some doubts. So, um, I'm, I'm not sure if I can point you to anything other than to the sub-stack. Um, this is something I'm still working through and writing out, but I think it's an important um, point to notice. A prayer for the mission of the Church from the Book of Common Prayer. Ever-living God, whose will it is that all should come to you through your Son Jesus Christ, inspire our witness to Him, that all may know the power of His forgiveness and the hope of His resurrection who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where PewPewHQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with PewPewHQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in an episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.